We've been called financial doctors, but we sure aren't medical doctors. So when we don't know something, especially when it has to do with this COVID-19, we practice what we preach. We go to the experts. And that's what we've done today on this podcast. We are bringing in an expert from John Hopkins, Dr. Alicia Abarje. She's going to answer all of our questions on coronavirus, like why this has all the doctors spooked, what baby boomers can do to stay safe, and how to make sure you are prepared. Coming from the doctor's point of view, not some talking head on TV. This is coming up right now. Are you ready? It's the On The Money Podcast with Jerry and Nick Royer. Authors, radio show hosts, TV personalities, retirement wealth coaches. On the Money with Jerry and Nick Royer starts right now. Welcome, everyone. This is Nick Royer, and you're listening to On the Money with Jerry and Nick Royer. Dad and I have been getting a lot of questions about what COVID 19 is and what people should be doing about it. And there's a lot of conflicting information out there. And of course, we aren't doctors. So we thought we would just reach out to one instead. So today we have, uh, we have gone to the expert from John Hopkins about uh, what baby boomers need to know about COVID-19 and this whole pandemic. Dr. Alicia Arbaje is the Director of Transitional Care Research at John Hopkins. She specializes in geriatric medicine, and she's also studied public health and designing healthcare systems. Dr. Arbaje, this is Jerry Royer. Thank you for speaking with us today. I should point out that Nick and I are on the phone with you because we are practicing social distancing. (laughs) I mean, we are. Yeah, yeah. but welcome. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You know, the numbers are staggering, both in the numbers of cases and in the death toll. John Hopkins actually has a coronavirus dashboard with the latest numbers, and you can find that at coronavirus.jhu.edu. Talking about all those numbers and growing, you know, they're growing so quickly. How much worse do you think this is going to get? Yeah, the numbers are really staggering. I think one of the reasons we're seeing the numbers going up is because we now have the availability of more testing kits. And the more testing we can do, the more we can find out who really has this condition. And before, when there was less kits available, we didn't really have as good of an idea as to... um, how many people were already infected. So I think that's one of the main reasons why the numbers are going up. And I think the second reason is because there really are also more infections. It's not just that we're identifying them. And we are still, uh, we haven't reached the peak of the number of people that we think are going to be infected. And so I think we're looking at another good, I would say three or more weeks of seeing when we reach this peak. It could be longer. Um, I don't think it'll be shorter because there are still parts of the country that haven't really um, started to see a lot of cases yet, though that's changing day by day. So I like to stay optimistic, but I do like to also stay realistic and think that we're looking at at least several more weeks before we start to see the full number of people that are really dealing with this illness. Okay, so let's back up for just a moment. When did you first start paying attention to coronavirus? You know, as someone who specializes in the health of older people, when did this really pop up on your radar? Yeah, so I think like many people, I was starting to hear about this uh, in the wintertime, like around December, and becoming very concerned about um, what was happening uh, in Asia uh, around this and thinking about personally whether to start restricting travel um, and so on and so forth. And then I think it really started to hit me um, more around like late January, early February, that this was looking to be pretty serious, especially starting to see what was happening in Italy, um, which still to this day is mind boggling what we're seeing there. 
Um, and that is what concerns me now as we start to move into um, seeing the peak starting to occur or moving towards that peak here in the United States. I was doing a hospital rotation back um, in the beginning of March, and then it really hit me that um, we needed to make some major changes in the way we were taking care of patients, both outside in primary care and outpatient care and in the hospital setting. And that's when things really became uh, very clear. And we're, uh, we as a health system um, really started taking um, major action to try to improve things. And I think we, we're seeing that across the country as well. Again, Dad and I are joined by Dr. Alicia Arbaje. She's a geriatrics expert with John Hopkins University. Doctor, I think a, a big question on a, a lot of people's minds is what's given you the most concern during this pandemic? Is it the fact that it's pulmonary? Is it the way it's transmitted? What gives you the most concern about what's going on with the coronavirus? I think a couple of things. One is sort of on the medical biological side and the other is on the social side. I think on the biological side, what really concerns me is how transmissible this virus is. It's much more transmissible than the influenza virus. And I think at first we thought that maybe they were similar. Um, it's not quite as transmissible as some of the most uh, efficiently transmissible viruses like measles, which is highly, highly contagious, but it's pretty close in terms of um, how easily it spreads. So I think that concerns me. And I think the fact that it has, it like rapidly, someone who gets infected who's, um, who's very vulnerable, uh, they are rapidly declining. So it's not just like, oh, maybe in a couple weeks you might get worse. It's like over the matter of days. Um, where people like five days where people are starting to get hospitalized and, you know, and shortly thereafter in the intensive care unit. So I think the fact that it's so virulent, meaning like so pathogenic, so likely to create really serious complications in people pretty early on, I think is concerning. And then the other part of the biological side is that for people who are vulnerable and getting serious illness, we don't know a lot about this yet, but it looks like this virus also create some pretty serious damage to the lungs for people that do survive it. So we are going to need to learn a lot more about the long-term adverse consequences. And then I mentioned the social side. I think um, the things that concern me most in this aspect is that I think early on, a lot of people weren't taking it very seriously. And, um, and partly because we didn't know a lot about it. Um, and partly because I think we were getting conflicting information, I think, in the media around um, and, and frankly, from our, our uh, public health authorities about how serious to take this virus. And I think now I think that's not the case anymore. I hope it's not. Um, but I think that delay in taking this virus seriously um, put us as a nation and us um, just individually, I think, at more risk uh, because we did not um, ramp up testing as quickly as we had hoped. So that concerns me. And the final thing that concerns me on the social side is that for our most vulnerable people, our older adults, and for others who have um, social isolation or limited resources, this is a virus that creating social isolation is key, but we don't have a lot of the safety nets. Many communities don't have the safety nets in place to help deal with uh, providing needed services to these people in isolation. So like our older adults, like our homeless population, like people in rural population and rural communities, we need to really test uh, how well we can deliver services to these vulnerable groups. So that concerns me as well. Let's talk a little about those vulnerable groups, maybe those seniors, for example. What can they do to keep themselves safe? So what I tell anyone, especially those uh, of my patients who are older, and most of my patients are over 65, many are over 80, 
is that the best defense against this virus or any other uh, infection is to maintain yourself healthy. So healthy aging is your best defense. And what do I mean by that? Remember, our immune system is what really is at the front lines here and dealing with anything that comes our way. And the way to best um, improve your immune system is to keep yourself healthy through physical activity of any kind, but even if it's up and down your stairs now that you can't easily get out of your house um, or walking around your neighborhood, that could be, but exercise is key. And then I think people really need, this is what I'm advising, really as best they can need to strive for nutritional excellence. And I don't mean just like, well, let's eat a few more fruits and vegetables. I mean nutritional excellence, which is at least 10 or 12 servings of fruits and vegetables daily, if they can, right? I know that's hard, um, can be frozen, can be, uh, can be fresh. But really fruits and vegetables, it's not just like, oh, they're good for you. They're actually critical for your immune system. Vitamin C um, and other vitamins that are con and micronutrients contained in fruits and vegetables. So really thinking about doubling or tripling your fruit and vegetable in intake, and that may not even be enough. So I really want to emphasize the need to increase fruits and vegetables. Um, and then to avoid foods that debilitate the immune system. So um, in particular, foods like eggs and dairy are highly debilitating to the immune system. They're phlegm producing, they're inflammatory foods. And for people, especially who have chronic illness, these are not foods that provide um, nutrition um, in a way that's uh, beneficial to folks who have chronic illness. So I really encourage people uh, staying away from those foods. I know it's a hard time right now to get the foods that you may want, um, but to the extent that people are able to move towards plant-based foods and especially fruits and vegetables. I also tell people to maintain their hydration. It turns out that dehydration is one of the top five most common reasons why older adults end up in the hospital just in general. Um, and then viral illnesses dehydrate you because they cause fever. So maintaining hydration. So just like the fruits and vegetables, um, drink more than you think you need to drink. And it turns out that fruits and vegetables, especially when consumed in their raw form, really help with hydration because they contain a lot of uh, water inside of them. So really maintaining your hydration. And then the final thing on staying healthy is so that was all the biological and the physical part, but then remember we've been talking about the social aspect. To make sure they're staying connected, folks are staying connected with their social networks, even if it's in a distance way uh, through technology or telephones, um, because that helps. We know that good social connection enhances our resilience and our immune system. So this isn't just about feeling good, though we like that. It literally has a biological benefit. Dr. Herbahe, talk a little bit about some of those who still have to work, maybe someone who acts as a caregiver for their grandkids. So they will have to be around family members, or maybe they're a healthcare provider themselves, or another job where they still have to go to work. What do those folks need to know if isolating themselves is more of a challenge? So I think a couple of things. One is specific to this pandemic and then the other sort of general good advice. So I'll start with the general. The general good advice for anyone at risk or taking care of, of someone who's at risk is to take the moment now to prepare an emergency information kit and contingency plans for if they got sick. What do I mean by that? So an emergency information kit are the list of all your health conditions, the medications you take, who your healthcare providers are, and importantly, who your healthcare decision makers are if you're not able to make decisions because you're too sick. So also, if there are preferred hospitals or skilled nursing facilities where if you needed to go, you could go um, to have a list of uh, those as well. 
So I think it's really important for people to always have that updated now um, is even more than ever. So that's kind of the more care coordination side of things, um, because when you don't have that information in an emergency, more mistakes can take place. So specifically for the individuals now, I say if you have to get out there or if you're taking care of somebody um, who you're worried about might be at risk, I think that you should consider things that may make a lot of sense, like wearing a certain outfit just for work and changing out before coming home. Or if you're caring for someone, wearing a certain outfit like scrubs or something um, that's easily washable and changing out of those clothes before coming home or as soon as you get home. And then limiting the amount of jewelry that people are wearing that are not essential, because again, that's more stuff that you have to clean. Um, if you have uh, longer hair that you can put up, I would put your hair up and cover it if possible. And then wearing glasses instead of contact lenses, um, because glasses provide a little bit of an extra shield. It's not 100%, obviously, but it decreases the need to like rub your eyes or touch your face and provide somewhat of a barrier. Um, and then keep in your car, if you're going out, um, keep in your car either some disinfecting wipes or just some paper towels with um, in a spray bottle of cleaning solution so that you can wipe down key surfaces of your car, you know, on the inside, like the steering wheel, et cetera. And once you get home to kind of just wipe down the area you just walked into. And then if people have access to gloves to keep those around um, for when they're in transit. Um, and then as soon as you get home, shower, change, if you haven't been able to do that before getting home, um, and do that before going and seeing people. Now, I just want to be clear that these are recommendations that are sort of general. We don't really have a lot of clear guidance yet as to what we need to really do specific to this virus, because we don't have enough information yet about this virus and how long it sits on surfaces. There are some early studies that are showing that the coronavirus can be detectable maybe even up to three hours in the air and definitely on surfaces. So up to 24 hours on cardboard and up to two to three days on plastic and stainless steel. So what does that mean? It means that even if you uh, do all these things I've just been saying, that you wanna make sure you uh, clean and disinfect common surfaces in your home often. There's a lot of misinformation, conflicting information out there right now. So let's speak uh, to that really quickly. If you could boil it down, to just a couple of things, because all, all, of, all sorts of misinformation gets shared on social media. What are a couple of things that are absolutely critical for everybody to know and understand with what's going on with this pandemic? Right. So the first thing, as I mentioned earlier, take this seriously. You know, I, even if you're pretty healthy and feel like you don't get sick that often, you could still infect someone else um, and be carrying the virus. So take it seriously and perform these precautions, even if you feel like you're okay. Other point is, you know, this idea about doing like uh, saltwater gargles or other kinds of home remedies. I think it's okay if people want to do those in addition to the things that we're already talking about. I don't want people to think that um, the home remedies um, that are out there are cures for this problem. Um, certainly do them if you think they'll help, but do not let that be a false sense of security for you. Uh, I'm a big promoter of natural and alternative medicine options, but I think until we know more about this virus, we don't want to limit ourselves to just those options. And the third thing I would say is to avoid dangerous self-medication. So uh, I would not take any additional medication that isn't something you're already prescribed for. And over-the-counters are especially dangerous for older people. Things like antihistamines are already medications we don't recommend for older adults. And non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which are like our ibuprofens and our um, naproxens, are fine in short term, but I would not use that long term, nor if you thought you had a viral illness. 
So those are things I want to make sure are clarified. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Arbahe. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Hopefully we can have you on again sometime under much better circumstances. I hope so too, but I'm happy to be available and to talk about these really important topics and to honor our older adults. Coronavirus.jhu.edu is where you can find John Hopkins' coronavirus dashboard on the pandemic. A lot of resources are on that site, including the answers to frequently asked questions, updated information on what's working and what's not working, and coronavirus myths versus facts. That's coronavirus.jhu.edu. Again, folks, we're here for you. Uh, You can get all sorts of information on our website, group10financial.com, our online calendar. If you want to set up a 15-minute strategy call with us, all you do is go to to, uh, onthemoneyshow.com. And in the top right-hand corner, you'll see where it says Talk with Jerry and Nick. You can schedule it right there on our online calendar. We're here to support you. We're here for you no matter what is happening, even though all this is happening in the world and uh, and, and companies are, are not working. Well, we are. Uh, we are fully operational. This doesn't change anything for us. As a matter of fact, some people are saying, man, it's actually easier to meet with you now <laughs> because I don't have to drive on I-4 to get there. And so, you know, we're, we're here. We'll keep adapting and keep supporting you and keep praying for you and your family. And once more, I want to thank you for listening and we'll thank you for your time this time. Until next time. So long, everyone. You've been listening to the On The Money with Jerry and Nick Royer podcast. Catch new episodes every week to discover the latest retirement strategies and tips for retiring well from Jerry and Nick. To subscribe to the podcast, head to onthemoneyshow.com. That's onthemoneyshow.com. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Group 10 Financial and Brookstone Capital Management are independent of each other.